Morning, church family. How we doing? Good, good morning. Oh, yes, and children, you are dismissed. You are welcome to go to class. Have a great morning. Welcome to Faith Church. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are glad that you're with us here in Dallas, Oregon. Even if you go outside and you think you're on the surface of the sun, you are still here in Dallas, Oregon at Faith Church, so welcome. Um, glad that you're with us. Uh, and, uh, and even if we have some fun with that and make light of that, uh, we do want you to stay safe and cool. And so as you heard Pastor Matt mention earlier, um, the worship center is open this afternoon, 3 to 8 p.m. as a cooling center. So come on over if you need that. Bring a friend or someone that you uh, know that might need that. Bring a book or a puzzle or a game and hang out here in, in, in something hopefully cooler uh, than the surface of the sun. Um, I'm looking around, looking around, I just wanted to, I don't think these friends are with us this morning, but I want you to be aware, a little something church family uh, news to celebrate together. Uh, so many of you know Tom and Carolyn Balsba, uh, so the next time you see them or if you want to reach out to them, I think it would be great if we would do so because I think we rejoice with those who rejoice and I would love to have it be known that we could celebrate with them that they just a couple of days ago celebrated their 65th wedding anniversary. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Very cool. Uh, so let's jump in. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. Love you to have your Bible with you or open your Bible app on your device and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We are in a series of messages entitled, Walk Worthy, as we uh, uh, are instructed uh, from God's Word uh, what, it is to, what does it look like to live our lives, to walk in a manner that is worthy of the glorious good news of the gospel? When we consider all that God has done for us, uh, what does he then call us to do? What do our lives then look like? So our series is called Walk Worthy, and today <clears throat> we're getting into Ephesians chapter 5. So turn with me there, and uh, let me just pray for a moment. Father in heaven, I pray that you would um, adjust our posture as we come to you this morning that you would help us to focus our hearts and minds to hear from you. Father, I'm so thankful that I don't have to stand up here and entertain or do a dance or a jig to make your word interesting. God, I'm so thankful that the Bible is your living word, that the, that the, that the words that you have given us are living and active and relevant to us today. And so, God, would you... Um, Speak to us through your word. Would your spirit dwelling within us uh, enlighten our minds and, and help us to see what you have for us this morning so that our lives would more and more reflect the likeness of Christ, that we could walk worthy of all that you have done for us, that we could rejoice over the salvation you have given us through Jesus and live lives accordingly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read uh, Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read the whole passage briefly, and then we'll take a closer look. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, must not even be named among you, 
as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So that's the passage we're going to take a closer look at today. And as uh, yet again, as it has happened a lot as we've studied through the book of Ephesians, we're in this series, Walk Worthy. We're we're working our way through this uh, letter in our Bible called Ephesians. We're working our way through it passage by passage. And here's where we come to in in chapter 5. And and as we work our way through, we come to what God has for us. And so we, again, we find the passage starts with therefore. And it's, it's to remind us of what's come before. Because we are called to live a life that is worthy, because of all that God has done for us through Christ, because salvation, being made right with God, having new life now and new life forever, because that is available to us by putting our trust in Christ, because of all the spiritual blessings we have in Christ, we are to walk worthy. It's because of that Because of that, we want to put off the old self. This is what we studied last Sunday. We want to put off our old way of life, our our old sinful ways of living, and put on the new life that Christ has for us. And so because of that, last week, the passage had us put off lying, anger, stealing, and and, and rotten speech. And, And this week, now... Paul, who's a church leader, writing this letter 2,000 years ago, and God writing it through him to us today. Now, Paul tackles the topic of sexual immorality. It was necessary to address with the Ephesian Christians, and it's necessary to address with us in 2021. So he tackles the topic next of sexual immorality, and so we see that in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Saints or believers, fellow believers. So that we see those three things listed there. uh, Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. What are those about? Uh, The term sexual immorality here is translated from the original language, a a word in Greek called porneia, which you can see uh, is the root word behind things like pornography. So sexual immorality here is translated from a word called porneia. And porneia is an umbrella term about sexual immorality that really is is talking about everything. Sexual immorality, porneia, is referring to everything outside of God's good intention for sexuality. Tracking with me on that? Porneia, sexual immorality, referring to everything that is outside God's best. Because God has good plans. He, he created sexual union. He created, he has good purposes for it. And that is, his good plans, his intentions for sexuality is for it to be enjoyed by one woman and one man who have been united in the covenant of marriage. And everything outside of that is considered porneia. 
So, so what happens sometimes when we've got to be careful with this, when sometimes when we get to these kinds of passages, we think, okay, well, God must be no fun. He must be anti-sex. No, we, we don't need to go that far. God created sexual union. He created man, man and woman to come together. He made it pleasurable. He gave us desires. But just like other desires of our flesh, we need to act these out, put these into play in, in biblical ways, in God-honoring ways. So what's up with this term porneia or sexual immorality? This term is not, um, this term is not just picking on one particular kind of sexual, uh, se- sexual sin. This term isn't picking on one type of sinful sexual behavior. It, again, it's anything that's outside of God's good intention for sexuality. And so we might have some things come to our mind that, that we think are really bad, that, are, that really must be, he must be talking about with sexual immorality. But sometimes we need to expand that definition a little bit. If sexual immorality is referring to anything that's outside of God's good intention, then it includes perhaps more than we think. What are our eyes consuming? Are there things that we're watching that are outside of God's good intention for sexuality? Before we crack down too hard on those that struggle in that area, what are we reading in magazines and in fiction novels? that perhaps draw attention or sensationalize or, or bring inappropriate attention to sexuality? Are, there, are we going places that are not helpful? Are we scrolling our phones through the trash of social media, quick videos and innuendo? Inappropriate flirting, lust. We could go on, right, about, about things that are outside of, of God's good intention for sexuality. The second term there in uh, verse 3 is impurity. Uh, one of the commentators I studied this week, Richard Koken, writes this. This is a broader term that includes sexual lust, but also other kinds of immorality, drunkenness, vulgar conversation, other wild behavior. So Paul's listing Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, and he's trying to paint a picture for us that's bigger than just that one hot topic, one or two hot topic sinful sexual things that we think of. He's painting a broader scope of of what we need to put off so that we can put on the new life in Christ being transformed into the image of Christ that Jesus has for us. That we can put off the old way of living and fulfilling our sexual desires, our sinful nature, and put on God's good, new, transformed life, making me new from the inside out. Followers of Jesus, you are being transformed by, from the inside out. You're being made into a new person, given a new heart, new mind, and new desires. And so he's painting this picture, and I mean, we look at sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, and, and perhaps it's as simple as, Remember, uh, you know, asking ourselves the question, is this something Jesus would be happy with? Last week, if you were with us in our study last week, we asked the question, is this something that would please God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who lives within me? Is this something that would please Him or grieve the Holy Spirit? 
cause him pain, cause him sadness. And the third term in that verse is uh, greed or, or covetousness. And so this, this uh, term may be familiar to us or we may have, you know, other, we have examples in our mind perhaps of, of greed or covetousness. It's, the, it's, this, un, it's this idea of um, unrestrained desire for more stuff. Unrestrained desire for more money, more food, more property, material things. And, you know, and last week our term was that God, in helping us to put off the old and put on the new, he wants us to use our hands not to take, but to give. And so this idea of covetousness goes against that. In this context, and, and because this, this, this passage has an emphasis on sexual immorality, sexual sin, this term covetousness really could be applied in that area as well. In this context, covetousness has a, a sexual aspect to it. Greed for someone else's body. Greed for something that God has not given us. And in, in verse 3, it says these things must not even be named among believers. Uh, one of the commentators I studied this week writes, uh, uh, pointed this out, that that Paul, the author here, and God through Paul to us, once there are times when it's necessary to call sin what it is, to, to name it, to call it out, and have it be known. But the idea here, that these must not even be named, it's, it's that the caution here is discussion about sinful behavior can cause things to spiral down. Discussing our own sexual sin, discussing the sexual sin of others, leads to trouble. So there's a caution here that it must not be named. We don't want to accidentally normalize conversation about sexuality and sexual sin in inappropriate ways. We don't, we, if we avoid sensual gossip, gossip that's going to help keep us safe. Avoiding this kind of topic, avoiding sensual gossip will help us stay away from sin rather than desensitizing, accidentally desensitizing ourselves to that sin and then being able to slip into it. Let's keep going in the passage. Verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. There's certainly some overlap here with our passage from last week where we talked about what comes out of the mouth. Unwholesome talk. Um, but again, in this context, in this passage, the broader theme seems to be sexuality and sexual sin. So if sexual immorality is not good, then neither is humor that's using that topic as a crutch, right? Now, verse 4 says there's no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. And just to make, again, just to make sure we don't take this too far, it says no joking. It doesn't say no joking. It says no crude joking. God in the Bible, I think this is something we ought to know, has a place for fun and humor and joking, 
I think if we actually read the Gospels, the story of Jesus' life, carefully and imagine ourselves there, I, I think there's humor there of Jesus interacting with people. He was a fully human guy traveling around with friends. God has a place for appropriate fun and humor. He created it. There's a lot of good that comes from humor. It's good for our health, and it's good for our soul, and it's good for enjoying the company of of others. This passage is talking about unnecessary talk that includes filthy language or crudeness that makes light of sexual sin. And, And this is what I always think of when I think of this topic. Have you ever had this thought? When I think about comedians or movies, isn't it possible to be funny without the crutches of crudeness and sexual innuendo and filthy language? Those are the people, the actors and comedians that do that without those crutches, that's who I'm impressed by. Those guys have talent. Those men and women have talent. If you can be funny and entertaining without the crutches of sexual innuendo and bad language, because think of how many comedians lean so hard on that. But this is clear. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. With that, why? Why, believers? Why, fellow Christians? Again, is God just a boring, take away all your fun kind of guy? Because with that type of humor, we risk our conversations going off the rails. Even if it starts innocently, right? Even if it starts casually or innocently with a comment that's not too bad, followers of Jesus are not to cause a conversation or participate in a conversation that is spiraling downward into the toilet. A danger here, I think, in in finding too much laughter and humor in things that are not funny, another danger here is that we sometimes laugh ourselves, even if we're laughing uncomfortably, is it possible to laugh ourselves into blurring the lines of what we find to be right and wrong? Laughing ourselves into going from understanding what God wants to going, nah, maybe I can just... You gotta be careful there. Here's a couple more verses to consider. They'll be on the screen. Mark 7 says this, from, For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within, and they defile a person. Remember, we talked about this a little last Sunday. It's it's out of the overflow of the heart that our mouth speaks. Dirty language, dirty conversation participation comes from from a dysfunction, from from an ailing heart that needs God's transforming work. Look again with me, another verse on the screen, Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, 
and by your words you will be condemned. So God's word here in Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 4, says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place among believers. And then what? What can help us? How does that verse finish? But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So what does turkey and mashed potatoes have to do with this? No, not that kind of thanksgiving. No filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking. Those are out of place. But instead, what can help us? Giving thanks to God. Why? Why would that be helpful? Because when I think about, when I focus on how thankful I am for what God has given me, I won't be distracted by what I don't have or what's not for me. Giving thanks. Being intentional to lift our eyes out of the spiral down into the toilet, to lift our eyes to the God who created all things, and while we are stuck in our sin, sent Jesus to rescue us that we might have new life with him, and that my every breath on this earth is enabled, is sustained by the life of Christ, and that my, that my ability to obey and follow and be transformed is empowered by the whole God, the Spirit living within me. Get my eyes up and give thankfulness for what God has done and, and, and what I don't have pales in comparison. So we can give thanks even about our sexuality and the proper expressions of our sexuality. Kent Hughes, a pastor and author, wrote this, Christians are not regressive about sexuality. Rather, they hold it in the highest respect. And so joking degrades it. Giving thanks preserves, preserves it. So let's keep going. Verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 5. What are the consequences of this? What is the significance of this? We are asked to live life worthy, walk worthy because of all that God has done for us, because of the abundant spiritual blessings we have in Christ. Here is what our lives are to look like. No filthiness, crude joking, sexual immorality, all the things we just covered. Why? Verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Whoa. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Church family, the, the scriptures are clear. No actively practicing sinner, no unrepentant sensualist, someone who's thrust into all these behaviors that we've just gone over and is unrepentant, meaning they're not sorry, they don't want to turn away, they don't want to turn to God and do the right thing, no ongoing active sinner, no unrepentant sensualist has eternal life. Kent Hughes wrote this, do Christians fall into these sins? Yeah. 
Do Christians fall into these sins that we've covered this morning? Of course. But Hughes wrote this. But true Christians will not persist in those sins. See the difference? Repentant versus unrepentant. Moving away from the sins, desiring to be transformed, or or staying in them and continuing. But true Christians will not persist in them, for persistence in sensuality is evidence of a graceless state. A person who is unwilling to turn or repent of a life of lust, who has put his sensual desire in the central place that only God should occupy, that person is an idolater and has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Paul writes about this elsewhere. Look with me on the screen at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. We studied this when we taught our way through Corinthians a while back. And this verse starts with this. And such were some of you. What's he talking about? Well, the verse just before this listed those that are sexually immoral, greedy, thieves, drunkards, slanderers. And then he says, and such were some of you. Thanks, Paul. I feel so good about myself now. Thanks for pointing out my sin. Thanks for pointing out our sinful nature. Thanks for pointing out where we would go if if left to our own devices. And such were some of you. But here's the good news. But Paul follows that with hope. But you, follower of Jesus, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified, made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Because the gospel is the spectacular news that a holy and perfect God looks down on messed up sinners like you and me and he comes to get us, he pursues us, he comes to save us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus lived the life that you and I cannot live, Jesus was without sin, fulfilled all that God would have, died the death that you and I deserve, his death on the cross paid the penalty for our sin, a penalty that we could not possibly have paid. He was was the sacrifice on our behalf. And then the first song we sang this morning is that he is alive, that he beat this cross, beat sin, beat death, conquered so that we too can have new life. Such were some of you. But the gospel good news is that those who have entrusted their life to Christ have found new life, new life now and new life forever. So we have that. Follower of Jesus, if you are a true believer, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have recognized that you can't do it on your own, if you have said, Lord, save me, I want to follow you, make me new from the inside out, follower of Jesus, you have been rescued from sin and death, you've been taken out of the darkness and brought into the light. And so how do we live? How do we live? How do we walk worthy? Temptations everywhere. Our sinful desires can lead us astray. And those who give in to those temptations, those that go against God's best, are going to experience the consequences and the misery that sin brings. So what do we do? 
Well, our passage is pretty clear about what we don't do. Verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Do not become partners with the sons of disobedience. Do not become partners with those who have fallen into sin but continued in sin. Unrepentant, ongoing, persistent sin. Don't be partners with them. For at one time, verse 8 says, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's what we don't do. What do we do? Our, uh, the beginning of our passage tells us what we should do. Ephesians 5.1 Therefore, be imitators of God. Follower of Jesus, one of the spiritual blessings that you've benefited from is that when you surrender your life to Christ, God, our awesome and loving Heavenly Father, has adopted you into His family. You are His children. And as children do, particularly those who have been blessed with a loving and perfect Father in heaven, children imitate Father. Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And what does that look like? That ver- Verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We have the opportunity because of his love for us to live a life of love. Imitating Jesus, imitating our Heavenly Father will help us put off the old way of life and find what he has for us. Imitating our Father in heaven will lead us to walk worthy. And walking worthy will include a life of love. Sound too tough? Sound like a lot to live up to? Are you struggling internally at all with, I, I don't know I, if I can do that? You can. Because you are walking with Christ. You can. Because the Spirit of God lives within you. If it sounds too tough at times to put off the old self and put on what he wants, if it sounds too tough at times to get away from the toilet swirl and go to a worthy walk, it's not too tough for those who are in Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit living within them, enabling them to obey and be transformed into the likeness of Christ and being transformed from the inside out so that we can live out the ways of Christ. This passage isn't isn't depressing or defeating because of all it calls us to. We're reminded that we can be imitators of God, not on our own strength, but empowered by the fact that God lives within us, and he's helping us. What he calls us to, he empowers us to obey. What he calls us to, he can help us to live out. Father, thank you for your love for us at all times. Thankful, thank you, God, for your love for us when our conversations spiral. Thank you, Father, for your love for us even when we find humor in the wrong places. God, thank you that In Jesus, we can find forgiveness even when we have failed and sinned in the area of our sexuality.
Thank you for being a God who is not distant and uncaring or unknowing. But we thank you for being a heavenly Father who sees us and knows us and who pursues us with his love. Thank you for being a Father who didn't leave us stuck in our sin, but but made a way for us to be made right with him through Christ. We thank you, Father, for the cross, for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that shows us that we too can have new life. As we thank you, God, for that new life that we have in Christ, we do pray that our lives would would increasingly reflect your goodness, That, that while we know we will not be perfect, while we know we will fall into sin, God, would you help us to be increasingly transformed? Would you help us to turn to you in in repentance, turning away from sin, putting off the old life, and turning to you? Teach us to be imitators of you, Father. Walking in love. Living out the ways of Christ. Not on our own strength, but because you live within us, empowering us to obey. Thank you, God, for transforming us more and more into the likeness of Christ. We want to live for you. So as we continue to worship together, Father, we are going to lift our voices and and say prayers and give our offerings. And may all of this be done out of overflow of the joy we have in our heart for all that you have done for us. God, we are so thankful for your love. We love you back. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.